and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. In the myth of Narcissus, Nemesis, the goddess of revenge, lures Narcissus to a pool where he falls in love with his own reflection and eventually starves because he can't leave his love, even though it's just an image and isn't real. How often are we also fixated, to our detriment, on what isn't real? Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series, The Unseen, with part one of The Unseen Strategy. Thank you for joining us today. Let's pray. Let's prepare for the teaching of God's Word. Lord, we know that just because we come late, it doesn't mean that we don't honor you and love you and adore you. Uh, And I know that. But Lord, at this point, we're here and we want to say we really We really see you as our great king beyond anybody that we could ever even imagine. No one is as worthy as you right now to grab our heart and mind's attention and the submission of our life. Lord, as we talk about the strategy of the evil one, I know there's been, I've observed it, and there will be during this hour, great effort to do the very things we're talking about, to tempt, to deceive, and to accuse. So God, we pray, show us how to protect ourselves. Show us how to call upon you to protect us. And we thank you for this time, and we pray in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. If you are joining us new, we're in a series called The Unseen. The Unseen. We're talking about the world that exists that we don't see with our eyes. An angelic world, a world that has one known as the evil one. And the demonic angels that assist, the unseen allies of the evil one, at least that which is not recognized by us to be anything but just part of life, but actually is something that's not seen, allied to the evil one. We've talked about the armor of God, the unseen armor that God gives to us to defend ourselves as we live in the world that exists with the unseen. I began the message several weeks ago as we talked about the, uh, the unseen allies. I referred to uh, the story of my own prowess as a magician to my children when they were young. I could take a coin, make it disappear, bring it back at any time and have them stand in awe and think, you truly have done that. I didn't do that. You know I didn't do that. They didn't know better. Until the day that they learned, and when they learned and they understood what really was instead of what appeared to be, then they say, "Uh uh-uh, have nothing to do with you. No, 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 no. Give it up, Dad. Not buying any longer. And that is my intention this day, that as we talk about the strategy of the evil one, that we're going to now kind of see what the sleight of hand is that he's using. And as a result, we say, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, I'm not going to fall to that one, not now. Mm -mm. I would have, but I will not now. I know 
better. That's the goal of the teaching of this hour. We find in the book of 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11, don't have to look this one up, let me just note a little phrase that comes out of it. It says, in order that no advantage be taken you by Satan because you are ignorant of his schemes. And so what I am doing from this moment on in this message and next week as well is to talk about the schemes of the evil one. Three schemes that make up what we call the strategy, the unseen strategy of the evil one. Now as we do that, we're going to see that there's too much to cover today. I'm going to take the first point and the good part of the second of the three strategies and hit those today. Next week I'll come back and I'll talk about the latter part of the second strategy or scheme and then the last. So this will be done in two weeks. I hope you'll be able to be here this next week. If you're not, please pick it up as you can by audio aid, whatever you choose to use there. Let's begin with number one. You see it in your outline. He tempts. No, uh, no new news to anybody here that knows anything about the Bible or Christianity, life in general. We say, okay, there is, we inferred there's an evil one, and we've talked about the evil one in the previous message in this series. We know that he tempts. We've heard that all of our lives. But understanding the what, why, and the how of his temptations can make all the difference in the world. Certainly, the Apostle Paul, 1 Thessalonians 3, 5, he certainly understood this when he said, For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So he acknowledges the role of the evil one to tempt. Now, we've got an understanding probably that, that his temptation comes in our thinking and in our mind. There's a reason why we've all heard it over and over again that the, the mind is the devil's playground. That's where he gets us is in our thinking. More than any other place, it's in our thinking. We're not sure how. How does he do that? Not sure. It's just acknowledged that he does. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds, and there it is, the minds of the unbelieving, so that they may not see the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I tell you what, I have just... I have just stood amazed as I meet with people. And uh, we talk about things that seem so apparent, so logical, so easy to comprehend. And they go, I, I can't see it, I don't get it, I don't understand it. How many times I've had people say, you know, I've heard this over and over and over and over before, and I can't explain it, but now all of a sudden I say, how come I couldn't see it? Why was I not understanding this? And say, well, your mind, your eyes were blinded to the truth. How did that happen? Oh, by the evil one. Someone once said that he literally it takes his paintbrush, well, figuratively speaking, I should say, and, and he, uh, he brushes technicolor pictures all over our thinking mind. And then as many of us that are part of this church would know the name Steve Brown, then he pulls the Steve Brown and he says, you think about that. 
That's what he does. He says, here, see it, think it, feel it. Think about it a while. See if you won't buy in. I'm telling you, folks, every single one of us are getting up every day with feelings and thoughts that are nothing more than the paintbrush of the evil one. I experienced it this morning in a way more than I have in a Sunday. I can't remember when. And I mean, that's serious. I felt that this morning. Oh, my goodness, what is it? I'm thinking and feeling and going. But oh, what a good thing to be able to go back to the truth. Say, oh, you want? I know what you do. I understand your ways. But boy, it's tough because when you see it, when you think it, when you feel it, oh, my goodness. The reality is, he has his plan. Numerous different temptations. We get tempted to, what happens when, uh, what happens when you get change back? And it's just, uh, you should be getting a 10 and the $100 bill shows up in your hand and you're walking away and you see, oh, they gave me 10 times the amount. There's a temptation there, isn't it? Oh my goodness, what am I just, nobody will know. It was their fault, not mine. Maybe the, the temptation when you see someone that's more attractive or more fun than your spouse. And all of a sudden, the brush begins to paint. And it says, you know, far better, far better if, if, if. And there it is, a temptation. It's right in front of us. How about the temptation to lie when you can just lie a little bit and you know you can get away with big things? Or just to exaggerate a little bit would certainly make you appear far better. Just tell a little bit of the story where they get the wrong impression and then think how much better you'll be appreciated and loved and thought of. Our young people here, how easy it is to think, you know, all I got to do is compromise just a little bit here. If I just compromise and go along with, then acceptance is mine and I'm included in the people I want to be included to. Boy, it's just so easy. It's temptation after temptation after temptation. But keep in mind, the evil one's not omniscient. He doesn't know all things. But he is as we would be as parents to our children. Don't we know where our kids are vulnerable? I pray for my kids. I pray for them on a, on a regular daily basis. I have my kids and I have a prayer list for them. And I pray differently for each one. I know that this one's probably more vulnerable to this issue and problem and this one more to this because I've, I just get to know them. I don't have to be omniscient. I can just know my kids. It's the same way with God. Now be certain, we've covered this before, God does not tempt. Many read the, the prayer, our Lord's prayer, and we pray, uh, lead us not into temptation as if it's God leading us. We've already covered that. It's not God who tempts. God does not tempt anyone. We read that in James, no problem. He does not ever, ever, ever tempt. It's a bad translation. It should be say, deliver us from the evil one. There's an article in front of evil. It's referring to the person of the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one so that we will not be led into temptation. So understand that. It's not the one that's going to tempt us. But he is the one who tempts, not God himself. Okay? So just a little bit about temptation. I'm not as concerned about temptation as I am deception, which is where I want to focus more than any. We're all tempted, we're all deceived, but let me tell you, this deception goes deep. The way he deceives, oh my goodness. He has this ability to make us think and believe 
that what is isn't and what isn't is. Uh, we can just sense it. We feel it. We know it. It just can't be. I know it's got to be true. And he's the one that deceives us to think such. I don't want you to be confused by what I've taught earlier uh, when we talked about how the evil one can no longer deceive all the nations. That ended at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Nobody understands that. When he rose again from that moment on, the eyes blinded of all the nations, the ability that he had to deceive all the nations has now been done away with. It's now not just the Israelites who are his, it's the Gentiles as well. So people from every tribe and nation and tongue can come to him. So no longer that kind of deception. But don't buy the other side that, oh, now he doesn't deceive. Oh, sure, he still deceives. No question. No question. He's called the liar, and he's called the father of lies. Look at what uh, William Hendrickson has to say about that. He says, the devil then is the very wellspring of lies, the creator of falsehoods. When he lies, he is the original. When he does not lie, he quotes or even plagiarizes. But even then, he gives the borrowed words a false setting in order to create an illusion. He even strives to lie and to deceive, and this he does in order to murder. So just understand a little bit about that. Now, there is a, um, a reality that no one deceives as well as the person who is deceived. You agree? Best deceivers of all, those that live it and learn it because they practice it all the time. It's true of Hitler. It was true of Stalin before that. It's true of Hussein or bin Laden. You look at anybody who's deceiving masses of people and look and see what their own beliefs are in life, how deceived they are. Those that truly study this and understand the world of narcissism gives us great understanding to what we find in the Bible about the evil one. A narcissist, someone who is so controlled in self-love, they see everything outside the realm of reality. Called the narcissist. There's none greater narcissist than the devil himself. And his great aim is to get us into the same deception of self-love. You want to see a picture of narcissism. You just go to the television program American Idol in its first weeks. Some of y'all watch American Idol? Uh, I don't watch it weekly, but I've seen enough of it to know what happens in the early weeks. And here comes somebody up to sing, and you, you look at them, and they say, I'm going to win this thing. I'm going to win this thing. There's no doubt I'm going to win this thing. They interview them, and oh, they're so confident. They get in before the judges, and the judges say, all right, tell me that. Well, I've been singing, and I have this great voice, and well, let us hear you. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you listen to them, you go, you or I, either one could sing better than some of those people. And you know they made it on just to show how bad they are and how deceived they are to think they're actually good. They're horrible. So you say, well, either they're lying or they're stupid. They can't be 
they can't believe they're good singers, but they really do think they are. You know, that truly happens to people. And as you study narcissism, as those that actually teach and, and explain narcissism, you have some very interesting insights that apply to our own faith. The experts say that a narcissist does two things, one of two things. Either they withdraw into their own world, or, and listen to this, they reconstruct reality to fit their own ideas and really their own ideals. You remember that, young people. I want you to listen to what I'm about to say because this is going to carry you a long way when you begin to understand this. The evil one, the great narcissist, he doesn't withdraw into his own world. He's the master of reconstructing reality. And that is exactly his intention for you as well as me. I'm going to reconstruct your reality, persuading you that what you see as reality is what's best for you. Many of you know this is the message that I had prepared in full early because of my schedule being so hectic over the last weeks, and my message disappeared. Gone. This week and next week, I'm just gone. I can't remember the theologian because I lost all my notes and so forth, and I can't even tell you who the theologian, though I had it, I can't tell you now who it is because I, I lost the information. But I had something there that was I know, very insightful as a theologian who took you back to the Garden of Eden to understand, and it applies to this idea of narcissism, suggesting that there are three progressive steps that you see the evil one take, you watch if this won't describe your and my challenge every day. Look at the first step. A slight manipulation of truth. A slight, just a slight manipulation of truth. If you go to the garden and you know the story in Genesis in the early, early chapters there, the evil one says this to our first parents. Has God not said that you shall not eat of any of the trees? Did God say not to eat of any of the trees? No. He said there was one tree, the knowledge of good and evil. You don't eat from that one. The rest of the garden is yours. Just slightly manipulates the truth. Well, what do we hear? Well, you can't do that. That's wrong. You're going to be miserable. You can't do this, and if you can't do that, you're going to be miserable. Uh, just a slight misrepresentation of the truth. It moves to secondly, a suggestion that there are no consequences for disobeying God. If you go on in the story in Genesis, you find out that, that the, uh, the evil one says, uh, oh, hold, 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 you won't die. Did, did you hear from God that you would die if you ate from that tree? Oh, no, 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 you won't die. There aren't those consequences that you think. And particularly in the young world, our youth, and I want to hear this so badly, the youth can't help but think, you know what? I won't, I won't face bad consequences if I have sex outside of marriage. That shouldn't be a problem. If I do the things that my peers are doing, I'll be okay, and I won't have the consequences that, 
that my parents and others might say there are. I just don't buy that. Boy, the evil one is getting his way at that point. And then we as marrieds, what do we say? Maybe singles say, well, you know what? I know he or she's not a spiritual person, but you know what? I won't have the consequences of, a, uh, of the, you know, marrying outside of the Lord. I'll be okay. Our married people say, I know I don't have biblical grounds, but, uh, but I don't think there'll be the consequences to just walking away from the marriage. It shouldn't be that bad. And then we come to number three. Number three is suggesting that there are times it's even best to go against God's way. Not only though I'll not have the bad consequences, I will be all the happier. You know, it, it's probably best for me not to steward everything that I have. If I steward everything before the Lord, I may not be as happy, as well off, have as much money. And, and, and there it goes. This is repeated over and over and over. It's not true. I'll be happier. And then we say, God, you can't be trusted. Your word says, but I believe. And next thing you know, there we go. This is what happens as a result of that. You follow the story of the garden. What happened in the garden? They ate, and then they were ashamed. They saw themselves as naked, didn't they? And what did they do? They hid. They clothed themselves, and they hid from God. Deception always leads to fear. Fear of being found out by God and by other people how naked I really am. I don't want people to see me in my shame. Therefore, I'll cover it, and I'll pretend, and I'll act, and I'll do things that will make you think otherwise. And you know what I'll do? I'll pretend, and I'll act, and I'll do other things that will make God think otherwise. And there we've been drawn into that whole idea of reconstructing reality until it fits our own faults ideas happens over and over and over Satan's strategy he says I got one of two approaches I'm going to get you to withdraw from reality the reality of moral necessity and I'll have you thinking that you can't be moral therefore it's not even necessary to try I can't even be moral with God's help so why even try? Give it up, give it up, give it up. I'm doomed anyway, give it up. Or, for probably most of us here, it's the reconstruct reality. As the Pharisees, and they got this self-righteousness and, and, and this whole idea of, of self-deceit. They're saying, I can be good enough, and without God, I can be good enough. And that's the way it gets all of us, one or the other. Oh, I can't be good enough, or I can be good enough. And he's got us trapped in either one of those approaches. Why? Why does that work? Because we know of our nakedness. We can't get away from it. It's simply there. Thus, he lies, he distorts, he offers false promises. There's one other issue of deception that I'm going to hold off until next week. And it's the whole idea of being deceived that, you know, my problems and my issues are demonic. I know this is a small portion of people here that will be fa facing this. But we got some that are going to believe, you know, 
I really think there is a demonic world. And I really think that there is an issue of demonic that is so much got me captured that I cannot obey because of my past, because of ancestors who have done whatever, things that have happened where I'm living today. Uh, there are things that are going on in the demonic world that are holding me back, and I am really not able to be what God would have me to be. Being deceived. And so we're going to talk about the whole idea of casting out. Do you ever see the pictures of and stories of casting out? You ever read in the scriptures the casting out? How do we view that with a biblical understanding? And then we're going to move right into accusing, how the evil one will accuse us. But remember, he tempts, he deceives, and he accuses. I'd like to close with this. Temptation. Anybody here about to yield in a major way to some temptation? It's taking you contrary to things of God. I bet you there's some of you right now that are thinking, I'm going to leave my spouse right now. I'm going to leave. Some of our young people who are saying, you know what? I don't have to be pure. I can give my life to the fun of sexual activity outside of marriage. Some of you in the marketplace are saying, I can cut a corner here. I can lie about this. And I'm going to be better off in the business world. You're being tempted right now. I'm going to say, hold off, hold off, hold off. See what you're thinking. See where it comes from. Say, uh-uh. I see the ways of the evil one. Don't go there. How about deception? Anybody being deceived to believe things about God, yourself, or the world in which we live? You're believing stuff that you... You know it's contrary to the Word of God, but it just feels so true. It's got to be right. You can't see it otherwise. Which deceives you most? Here's the decision we need to ask, uh, or the question we need to ask ourselves. If I get deceived by the evil one most, is it by being encouraged to withdraw from the reality of moral necessity? Or is my temptation more to reconstruct in my own mind a reality. Reconstruct a morality as it has to do with, with morality, self-deceit, maybe even self-righteousness, and say, you know what, I can be good enough. Let me give you the answer. Here's the answer to the whole problem. You hear the word gospel a lot. Pastors like myself are abusing the use of gospel today. They're throwing gospel and gospel and gospel and saying, what is gospel? I don't get it. Well, gospel means good news, and it is good news, and we need to know what the good news is and how it relates to this whole idea of being narcissists. See, here's the point, folks. You and I have self-love issues, do we not? I love myself, and you love yourself. And so that self-love is what the evil one can play off of to get us to either withdraw or reconstruct reality. And so what we have to do is say, wait, wait, wait. How do I deal with self-love? And you've got to go to the gospel, the good news. Well, what is the good news? The good news is that, believe it or not, that we lost it all. 
You hear me say that if you're a part of this church. We lost it all. What is that saying? It's no way of putting it into the, the talk of today. It's we have to see our nakedness. And we just see how absolutely, and absolute means absolute, absolute nakedness. If I can't see that in myself I am truly fully naked, I am going to be pushed towards self-righteousness and self-deceit. I am going to have to go there. If I don't see it, I'm going to have to say, well, I've got to reconstruct reality. I've got to see myself as something better than I really am. Folks, we need to see ourselves as naked. And there's some here I know today that say, you know what I don't like about a church like this? Because they're negative. They talk about the, the self-nakedness issue. You know, good gracious. What's the problem with you folks? Well, here's the issue. Until we see ourselves truly as we are, that we lost it all. We can't see the beauty of this picture of being clothed in his righteousness. We're not naked. Why get clothed? Man, you don't want to see yourself just as naked in your sin. But you want to see yourself clothed in his righteousness. We get it all. How do we get it? It's by him doing it all. It's by him going to the cross and he earns the right of our righteousness being given to us. And when the righteousness clothes us, now, now we're where we want to be. That's what will destroy self-love. That's what destroys narcissism. That's what keeps us from withdrawing into this issue of belief of, hey, I can't, even with God. Or the reconstruct reality that says, I can, even without God. No, no, no. We're naked, and we get clothed in the righteousness. I'm watching some of my, some of my friends in ministry. The focus is so much on the clothed righteousness. They fail to see that underneath that clothing of his righteousness is a nakedness of our own. Or on the other hand, some that are seeing the nakedness and they're not seeing the clothing righteousness, they're thinking, I've just got to go after it harder and try better to be a better Christian. Let me tell you, you put them both together and something beautiful happens. A love relationship is born when you see the two come together. A love relationship. And a love relationship births a following where you want to obey. And now it's not in order that he loves us, it's because he loves us. And next thing you know, relationship with God is where we want to be, and self-love gets fractured. Every one of us, let's wake up tomorrow, and regardless of what we're thinking or what we're feeling, let's go back to the truth. And let's ask, am I being, am I being tempted right now? Am I being deceived right now? And next week we'll talk about, are we being accused right now? The answer is in the good news of what he's done for us. Fellow Christians, hold on to this. You may not want the divorce now, but you may tomorrow. You may not be tempted to do that with a person you know you shouldn't be with, what you shouldn't be doing, but it may be tomorrow. And I pray to our God that at that moment, you're going to go right back here. And you're going to say no.
evil one. You're a father of lies. It's not worth you being honored. Holy God, you're the one that clothed me in righteousness. You're worthy of the best that I could ever give you. And you obey. As we pray together, Father in heaven, I pray that you would grant some of us right now that are about to, to fall deeply. And we know in a group like this, there got to be numbers. Protect them. I pray there'll be some stories coming out of this week in the weeks and months ahead that look back at this moment and say it was right here that my heart got captured to follow the truth. I want to pray for our young people, our teenagers, our kids, even younger. God, would you protect their minds, protect their hearts, let them see the sleight of hand with maturity beyond their age. And may they walk with you, clothed in your righteousness. Father, I pray for those of us here that are without a relationship with you. Maybe deceived that we are yours when as yet we're not. Would you release us from the blindedness? And may we see the truth of our nakedness. And may we run to the cross to be clothed in your righteousness. Thank you for the privilege to do that even now. And we ask all in the great name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.